0: listeners and welcome to another episode of compare and campaign i am your host tom lando and with me as always is my co-host and co-gm although who knows what he's gonna be this time he's something different every time who is he
1: i'm Miguel, and this time i'm the weaver
0: the weaver things are getting weird up in here hey it's episode 150 that's oh my gosh! Something is it really of a milestone? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, that's wow, how that's, I like a, that's like a that's like a
1: round number.
0: Yeah. Um, some. Uh, oh shoot! No, I can't do that. Never mind. I was gonna try and do something. There's a new feature that Discord has. I don't know if you've noticed it. Um, there's uh you can have a soundboard in your Discord now. And oh, so is that now, what that thing is? <laughs> uh, now, when I have. When I'm running the game and we're playing in Discord, if someone rolls a crit, I can literally blare that air horn and go pew, pew, pew. And then if somebody rolls a critical one or like more often, it's like if somebody rolls a bunch of crits or if like rolls a bunch of terrible numbers, then there's also the sad horn that's like, "womp, womp wow.
1: <laughs> I was kind of hoping it would be the uh, prices right losing tuba. Bon, 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 bon. Mm. I don't know if
0: they can get that. That seems like proprietary horn uh right there. But um yeah, episode 150 McGill, do you have anything special to talk about on this episode apart I mean you've got a weird game to talk about is what I understand.
1: I'm actually going to be talking about two weird games because the more I looked into one weird game, the more it reminded me of a different weird game. So on this episode, I'm first going to be talking about Gnomic. Now, do you know anything about Gnomic, Tom? No. Gnomic. Uh, So first, I'm going to be talking about Gnomic, and then I'm going to be talking about an RPG. Uh, I should say, Gnomic isn't an RPG. It is just a game. And then I'm going to be talking about an RPG that reminded me of Gnomic called Wisher just Fatalist, which is, or abbreviated, it is WTF.
0: Well, I'm, I'm certainly intrigued. I'm just picking up where I left off uh, in my take on Writhing in the Dark. We've got um, the Heroes of Coyotes Aegis have found their way into a the vault of an illithid and they are exploring it and they've come across a terrible room of of decay and decomposition and gross stuff and uh balloon like uh creatures weird weird gaseous spore creatures and literally the line that i had to like control f to get to where i was is uh Gent just tossed the grenade. So I'm just picking up where Gent just tossed the grenade. In fact, Gent, uh, Chantel, upon tossing the grenade, says, kaboom, motherfuckers. And then (laughs) they roll that damage. They get 22 damage. And I say, you cover yourselves from the blast as Gent tosses a Hercules frag grenade into the unpleasant chamber ahead of you. The blast is partially met with a muffled but disturbing squelching sound. When the viscera settles, you see that the strange spore egg creatures have burst and are now splattered insides out around the chamber. The blast has evidently made a further mess of some of the bodies in the chamber. And uh, Chantel says, super gross. I will cautiously enter the room. (laughs) And I say, how do you proceed? Does Connor cast Dawn as planned? And uh, I have gent roll stealth. And Connor holds off on the Dawn and just says, gross.
1: This, this is totally the, the kind of thing where if my players did this, I would be making them roll dexterity saving throws whenever they were in the room, lest they slip and fall in all the disgustingness.
0: Um, you say that. I literally was just about to say I had Gent make a dexterity check. Hey. They say <laughs> it's just straight dexterity checking. I said, yep. As you creep into the disgusting chamber, you find that you have to tiptoe tip Talon because it's Kenku to avoid a- ending up ankle-deep or worse in some foul, slimy build-up. They well, say there we go. Bath and spirited away gross, gross. And, uh... Connor casts guidance on Gent as they inform Connor and Hex of the mess and uh, say maybe uh, Connor will want to wait. And uh, as they maneuver through the stinking detritus, they become aware of a presence... They don't see it or hear it. They feel it creeping up behind them. Their Iune stone of awareness alerts them to the presence of four tiny scuttling creatures coming out of the viscera around them like face huggers from alien. And I have them roll initiative. Uh, we got hex 20 Con- Connor 10 and Sean tells us, eight. And, uh, I mean, I don't know why I'm highlighting this. It's just, uh, eight. I don't know. It's funny. Connor got better than Gent. When since when does that happen, you know? Unthinkable. <laughs> um. So Hex alerts uh, or no, Gent alerts the party, and Hex goes first. And Hex draws his crucifixed scimitar and uses bonus action to light it up. As Gent says, he shouts incoming. And uh Jen also draws their sword and sets it ablaze. And uh, so Hex rushes into battle with these weird facehugger things. So what I was using these for, uh, for these, um, this was my representation of uh, Intellect Devourers. Because this whole thing, there's a sort of like an alien theme in this dungeon where it's like you've got the Githyanki, You've got the illithid. You've got the Inlet devourers. Everything's kind of creepy and, and alien. And so I played that up by like instead of just having them be intellect devour, devour, devourers, I had them be more like facehuggers from Alien. And uh, almost like he deals one attack, he gets a nat one. They gets a nat twenty. And I say the creature is cleaved into two burning halves by the first attack. Oh, man! He didn't even need to roll that for that twenty, I think <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "Oh shit, I may have misjudged and uh so yeah, he turns that crit against one of the other ones i I let him do that, and I said, "Boog eviscerated and uh then, as they're celebrating their victory over this this easy slaughter of these aliens, uh I say with a low growl. A female dwerger in scale armor digs her way out of the corpses among you. She has a shield and appears to be strapped down with many daggers. As she emerges from the gore, she suddenly begins to grow slowly and steadily until she and her equipment are twice their original size. To which Chantel said, Parade Balloon. She then disappears. Next, the tiny creatures, they look like disembodied brains with tiny claws, attempt to jump at Hex and Gent. They have to make int saves, Gent gets a nat 20 and uh hex tries to use uh well hex gets a nine but they have this ability indomitable indomitable that lets them like re-roll a save and they roll an eight and i'm like damn uh well i at first i said in response to Gent's crit nice you feel an eerie magical aura spread from the thing as it hurls itself at you and I ask Hex what his intelligence score is, and he says 11. I say, it's now zero. You're stunned until this magical effect is undone. Oh, jeez. Chantel's like, holy fuck. And Alex is like, "Uh, isn't a zero just automatic death? And I'm like, Hex also takes 17 psychic damage. No, not in this case. Next up is Connor. Connor walks in and shotgun blasts the unengaged boog. He gets a 13 to hit, which still hits. A 16 damage Connor blasts the hideous creature to bits. And uh, Connor then uses his bonus action to cast spirit weapon calling in that golden shovel and attack the uh, to attack the last bug, but unfortunately it doesn't hit. Then we go to Gent's turn. Gent goes to attack the last boog with the crucifix rapier, hits it, lights it up with that um, uh, you know, uses the lit up crucifix scimitar. So it's like a fiery rapier blade It's not scimitar. It's rapier for Jen. Um, and, uh, so she deals like fire damage and piercing damage. And I say the creature is just able to scuttle onto hex's face. When you skewer it, flinging it away as it squeals from the heat of the rapier's flames. <laughs> and, uh, Chantel says, Bonus action, I slap Hex, hoping to snap him out of it. And Alex says, hiss. And I say, he is still stunned. And <laughs> uh, Chantel says, all right, Connor, wave your hands, please. Talking to the healer. Suddenly, from a doorway leading southeast opposite the one they came in from, two more alien warriors rush in with the katana in half and half uh, plate. And Chantel says, I'm beginning to suspect I ruined our stealth with that grenade. <laughs> and just as they clock these two uh, new arrivals, the Dwerger reappears, shoving a dagger into Hexaquila while he is stunned. Um, so, uh, Jen attempts, Jen actually realizes, or, or realizes kind of retroactively that even though the, d- the Dwerger had disappeared, um, Gent has blindsight at this level of being a rogue within 10 feet. And so Gent would know that the Dwerger hadn't actually moved. So Gent like sort of retroactively is like, oh, I wouldn't have ended my turn then I would have done an attack against the, um, the Dwerger, but, uh, she misses, unfortunately. So they feel the rapier scratch against scale mail. They can't see, And, uh, the Dwerger... So then we cut to the Dwerger reappears, striking Hex and dealing a critical hit, 46 piercing damage from an enlarged dagger driven by the enlarged fist of an enlarged Dwerger. She drags the blade through Hex's hide for an additional 26 piercing damage, doing a total of 72 damage. And, uh... The Dwerger continues to growl, taking on a stance similar to the one Hex normally adopts in melee combat, which uh, is a reference to the fact that this Dwerger that appears in the Writhing in the Dark module is actually a fighter, uh, just like Hex, uh, his primary class. Hex has a bit of Barbarian as well, but um, that Dwerger has, like, Second Wind and Action Surge and Improved Crit, all that stuff. Um so uh it becomes hex's turn but he's stunned so there's nothing he can do and uh so the aliens dash forward to join the dwerger in attacking hex hex is at 139 out of 232 health for right now i note, and uh luckily they get they do their first hit but then the second hit doesn't hit with a 20 I say, tough hide, that gith that just struck you teleports back to the entrance it came in from. With the gith, they're just laying into him with these attacks that are doing slashing damage and psychic damage, and then tele- using, like, Misty Step to teleport back away from him. Uh, and then it's Connor's turn, and uh, Jen has given him instructions to fix Hex's brain. And typically, I know a greater restore does the trick, and uh, Connor says, all right, that's the plan. Then I'll attack Dwerger with the spirit weapon. And I point out, by the way, Hex went down to 29 health out of 232 that last round. Oh, geez. But his mind returns to him. <laughs> and uh, Connor manages to hit the Dwerger, but only for four damage with his golden shovel. Uh, gent... uh. This is a real
1: pile-up of, of all the enemies in this dungeon. And those uh, Intellect Devourers, you added those, right? Those aren't part of the module?
0: I believe they are present, but one thing I was looking at, like, like for example, the gifts that rush into this chamber, those are only present if, like, you know, the, the D&D Adventures League expeditions, they have... Um, little sidebars that are like if the party is stronger or weaker than the recommended level, um, change the encounters this way. So the gith running back into the, like the gith running into the chamber at the end of the first round, that is something I noticed is a like for strong parties. And these guys are like way above the level that's recommended. Like I'm even amping up the stats of the attacks and everything. Um, but uh yeah I think I think they are present in at least one iteration of it. Um I can look that up for you though.
1: Well, I've never run it with Intellect of Hours. Uh but they seem like such a natural fit with all the brain themed stuff oh, going on.
0: No, uh I was wrong. It's uh or, or I, I was sort of right. It was also it's also with the Githyanki warriors. It's very strong party, as strong party above um which is that uh, the Dwerger gets a surprise round thanks to her telepathy. However, they would not thanks to Gent's uh Iun Stone of Awareness. Which I factored in. Um, but it says as strong party above and add two intellect devours to the fight, and two Gith Yankee warriors enter combat at the end of round one. So we're doing all of that.
1: Pile on big old pylon.
0: Yeah. Uh, so at this point, Jen is considering like, uh, using the say, they say, okay, so the needle, is it more of a, if he goes unconscious solution. And I say the one you have is a super stim pack, which does replenish HP to 100%. The repeated doses within 24 hours can be dangerous. I don't think you have any more though. And then Jen says, okay, one last question. The beat of force is not going to prevent someone from teleporting through. And I say, it says no effects can pass through, so I'll say it does, only breathable air. A little quick DM ruling there. So uh, Chantel says, okay, then for my action, I would like to throw, I believe, the last of my beads of force toward the entrance with the gith in the hopes of keeping them in place. Um, I point out that Hex is no longer uh, stunned. Oh, uh, oh, and I also point out that it's only her second last beat of force, so I'll have one more after this. Um so the beat of force lands at the feet of the Gith, and uh one of the gith manages to save, so that one of them manages to jump back, the dome of sphere of force explodes out, pushing them backwards into Connor, that the other one is fully ensnared. Uh And uh, I get them to roll the force damage on the one that gets pushed back. And Chantel says, 8. Dumb. And Alex says, brutal. And uh, the trapped one takes that damage. And then uh, for the bonus action, they uh, Stimpak Hex. I say, normally this would be a full action, but I will allow it as a bonus action because uh, Gent has the thief trait, Fast Hands. And uh, Chantel says, Nice, I will take out the needle and say, This is gonna suck. And then jab Hex in the heart. And they hop over to the Hex and inject him with a crazy ass multi syringe device, strapping it to his arm and tightening the straps in a frenzied, me- frenzied mes- medical maneuver. And they say, Oh, or his torso, sure. Uh, and I include a little picture of the super stim pack from Fallout. And. Uh, Alex says, Hex winces weakly as his eyes struggle to focus. The world swims into clarity. He notices the device dubiously strapped to his chest. Um, He says, I suppose it is the Dwerger's turn, but I would very much like to rage. (laughs) And uh, I point out, Hex is at 100 HP regardless. And after one hour, Hex will gain one level of exhaustion. And uh, Chantel says, worth it. I say the Dwerger squints at the device that Jen has affixed to Hex. She then swings her dagger at him. He dodges the first swing, but the second cuts into his left arm for 26 piercing damage. Then it is Hex's turn. So he takes a bonus action of rage. Then he turns to the Dwerger and starts swinging his scimitar. Reckless attacks. Nat 20. I say vengeance. While her main hand is still outstretched, (laughs) you cleave into her extended arm. I mean, we really do
1: need that soundboard. Beep,
0: beep, beep. (laughs) 43 damage total, 21 fire, 22 slash. Chantel says, amazing. She withdraws her arm with a scream. Uh, second attack, 31 to hit. Her eyes are blank, white, expressionless. Uh, while she reels from her th- his last blow, he sweeps under her shield to slash at her right thigh. Bringing his burning blade up, he knocks her shield aside and leaves a burning cut in her left shoulder. She falls to one knee hex is swearing the entire time while the stim back still ch- stuck in his chest alex says the alien trapped in the bu- force bubble rushes against its perimeter but the sphere is jammed in the entryway and the creature cre- presses against the force field fruitlessly that's a force field fruitlessly It was a bit tough for me uh <laughs> the other raises its blade and begins to attack connor Uh, but Connor has an AC of 22, so Connor sidesteps the first blow, then takes the next directly to the chest plate of his armor. The alien hisses and teleports to the other side of the room, and it's Connor's turn. He tosses a guiding bolt at the Dwerger, but unfortunately it hits the shield, Then he brings in the spirit shovel, gets a nat 20. Alex is like, I'm rolling hot tonight, gets 10 damage, which isn't that much for a crit, but hey, it's just a spirit shovel. Uh, while the Dwerger takes the guiding bolt on her shield, the spirit weapon comes up behind her and strikes her in the back of her helmet, creating a metallic ringing sound. Next up, it's Gent's turn, and concerned the Dwerger is actually under mind control, so Gent uh, chooses to go after the Gith. And I say, I guess I can stop calling them aliens <laughs> because I've been, I had, I was like, I don't know if they know what Githyanki are, so i have just been calling them aliens the whole time. But then, like, I think. Either they had just clued in that they were Gith and just started calling them Gith, or it had accidentally called them Gith at some point. Um,
1: this is a real revenge of the Gith situation.
0: Oh, man, it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, actually, the real revenge of the Gith is going to be if the Gith uh, try and come back for their silver blade. But maybe that's what happened here. Like that, that Because there's that hanging thread, it may be a thing of like, like, you can just justify the Gith that come into that chamber as, like, oh, they've been sent after that blade that Hex picked up. up. Um, so, uh, Gent attacks the Gith, but unfortunately their blade is stopped by the Gith half-plate. The Dwerger desperately attempts to strike at Hex, and uh, managed to do some damage, but then it's a big miss. And then on Hex's turn, Hex continues smacking the Dwerger recklessly, and Alex says, Jesus, another nat 20! 33 damage total and i say that you cleave the dwerger's head off cauterizing the wound like a lightsaber on both sides as you do it is a revenge of the gith situation mcgill you're right (laughs) he says hex will then charge at the gith in the corner Oh, come uh, on
1: tell me there's gonna be some joke about hex having the higher ground
0: uh maybe they probably could have said it in this sludge but i don't think we did um (laughs) i mentioned that the Body and the equipment of the Dwerger return to their original size as they fall. Uh, and then Hex comes crashing into the Gift's right, uh, the Gift's flank as it's defending against Gent. He hacks away at the same spot, Gent struck, sundering the armor there with brute force. And then he bites him recklessly as his bonus action. He manages to push the gif back into the wall as he closes in, sinking his, f- sinking his teeth into its green flesh. He pulls his jaws back and a spray of blood flies through the air. The Gith lets out a gurgling scream and he attacks you with his katana and a crit. For 37 slash plus 30 psychic damage. Pushing you off. The gith drives its katana into Hex's right leg. I'm saying you here because I'm reading it as I said it to Hex. I'm getting all confused with my tenses and whatnot. Uh, However, fails to raise its blade. As Hex won't allow it the space doing so. Causing it to flail helplessly with the blade turned downwards. Connor's turn. Connor moves up and unloads his second barrel into the corner gith and uh, it's a nat one connor moves the shovel but can't reach the gith with it it becomes the end of connor's turn gent swings at the guy again and uh misses melee is getting awful crowded gent is like damn i'm doing garbage i disengage and move back as gent makes her attack the gith teleports back to the corner of the room it teleported from after being for- pushed by the force field so it just keeps jumping back and forth around this room Hex rips the stim pack out of his chest, yells a bit, and turns and charges the Gith with reckless attacks, cleaves, cleaves the creature's arms from its body before literally slicing it to pieces. And then, uh, I point out, that, uh, at this point, the only, uh, opponent remaining is the gift that is in the force field of the bead of force. Is that little, like, ball that Gent has that they can throw. It just makes, like, a, a globe appear, and if you save, then you get pushed away from it. Uh, but if you, uh, don't save, then you get trapped in the ball. And, uh... I, so I tell them they can all basically prepare actions to go off for when the force field goes down. And Alex uh, or Hex says, ah, I told you I don't need needles. And Gent says, you are welcome. And uh, Gen, or uh, Hex's rage wears off while they're waiting for, for the force field to go down. So he prepares to shoot his Apollo laser pistol at the geth, gith when the bead wears off. Meanwhile, uh, Chantel readies her Hermes compact pistol, uh, or, her silence PPK to shoot when the field goes down and Connor, uh, reloads and readies to shoot his shotgun and, uh, comes to, uh, Jen actually their first time ever emptying a clip because they hardly ever use this pistol. They've got a oath bow and all that stuff. So basically, once the force field drops, just everything, everybody blasts this one Gith. Um, however, it's not dead. Seizing on the opportunity, when the force field drops, the creature throws itself at Hex. Um, then uh, the Gith is bloodied and attacking Hex, and uh, Gent... Oh, uh, Gent reloads and then rolls a miss. But then Hex goes in for a smash, smash, smash. That's literally what he says. And he (laughs) continues to relentlessly cut into the gith and uh, slays the gith with a final decisive swing. And then um, I point out Hex and Connor got to make dex checks and they roll a 12 and an 8. And I say, throughout the fighting, you have been splashing through muck composed of Decomposing organic material, fresh gore, alien fungi, gray matter, and unidentified slime. Hex and Connor are now so coated in it, and more importantly, it's horrific stench, that it will be imposing disadvantage on their stealth checks. Um, and uh, Connor, I point out that Connor probably doesn't have the spells to help remi- remedy this, but that's the situation. And Gent uh, begins going through their items to see if they have some kind of fan... And uh, (laughs) uh, uh, Alex says, I suppose Connor could create food and could cast create food and water and we could clean ourselves with the water, but that seems wasteful. Um, Once again, there is another basin in this chamber against the south wall, much like the last two had against their north and eastern walls. Hex picks up the severed head of the Dwerger lady and walks toward the basin. Um, I I. tell them that they can roll medicine or investigation to attempt to identify some of the mess in this room. Um, And uh, they all start rolling around. They all start doing their rolls, not rolling around. They all start rolling. (laughs) They'll just start rolling
1: around on the the ground. ground.
0: I'll roll around in that muck. No. Uh, And basically the result they get is this room is way too much of a now mess now to make heads or tail of. There are a few strange details that jump out at you though. First, Gent manages to find gold coins scattered around the room amongst the viscera to gain 85 gold for each of you. Plus 85 gold each. Gent current total gold is 22,525. Chattel says, cha-ching! Despite the carnage here, there are two brains wholly intact sitting by themselves neatly in the northeast corner of the chamber. One appears to be human while the other is humanoid but remarkably large, possibly that of a giant. Um gent determines that in the room before that the room before combat contained approximately eight dead humanoids one dead giant and nine animal carcasses and uh these corpses were all in the chamber from before the grenade and uh, uh hex tries to take the dwerger brain out of her head they say i'm gonna take the crucifix, scimitar uh, i i say hex how are you trying to do this he says i'm gonna take the crucifix, scimitar unlit start cutting around the top of her skull or try and uh... <laughs> sorry in response to the uh gent like analyzing how many dead things were in this room gent said oops And I say, sorry, to clarify, these corpses were all in the chamber from before the grenade. Like, Jen didn't kill any of them. They were all just here decomposing. And Chantel's like, yeah, just desecrating corpses. And uh, Alex says, ooh, or maybe I should just yank on the spine real hard. Eh, Probably the first one, though. I say, As you cut into the skull and attempt to remove the cap, you find it pops open with surprising ease. Then you see the tiny, clawed, brain-like creature reaching out of it at you. He says, ah, fuck! And Jen goes, squash it! And I make them roll initiative. As Hex curses, the creature suddenly teleports so that it's scuttling amongst the creatures on the ground, or the corpses on the ground. Jen is able to act first before the creature can do more. And uh, Chantel says, shoot the thing, for fuck's sake. Eight to hit. It's too quick! Your bullet digs into a pile of gory meat. And uh, Jen says, that will be my turn. And I say, Hex, make an int save. And he gets an 18. And I say, the thing throws itself at your face, but you once again feel the disor- distorting field of the creature coming towards you. But you steal your senses and bat it out of the air. Connor's turn. Connor blasts it, blasts it with his shotgun. 17 to hit. It hits. 26 damage. 15 piercing and 11 radiant from Paylor's blessing. And the creature is blown away, briefly twitches on its quote unquote back, then writes itself and begins scuttling back over to Hex. It's Hex's turn. And Hex stabs at it desperately with a 31 to hit for 17 slashing. And I say, Dead boog, dead brain boog. And uh, Chantel says, or Jet says, Hex, stop playing doctor. And Hex says, Jesus, what was it going to do? Sit in there until we left? <laughs> and again, I correct him. Paylor's light, not Jesus hex moves toward the neatly stored brains in the back corner of the room and he uh, says right sorry and uh gent says maybe we should bring a leftover brain to throw his bait next time they try to suck out yours i say connor uh i have connor say don't blaspheme uh then alex says looks like we got a couple here do you think we need all four though also we should probably check out that last room right and Chantel says, we can check out whatever room you like. And then Gent pulls out another grenade to the ready. <laughs> Connor slaps Hex with a cure wounds at level four before they move to check out the Eastern room. And that is where I broke. Uh, and I yeah, said, we don't even
1: we don't even get to the mind flare.
0: Now we've we basically been doing like a room uh, uh, session. Holy
1: cow. This yeah, we didn't even get into the 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 ice chest, man.
0: But um yeah uh then I say total XP is plus 4650 looks like level 18 to me new total 268575 yep and Alex says ding and I say Gent now has eight 180 HP and attacks cannot have advantage against her unless she is incapacitated. Nice. Uh but also then there was a bunch of housekeeping we had to do because uh Gent had to change her schedule. But uh yeah, that was that. Wow. Boom. Level eighteen in one huge fight.
1: And still and still some pretty key parts. Still my favorite parts of uh of writhing in the dark yet to come.
0: Yeah, well, we'll get there. We'll get there next time.
1: All right, Tom, you're ready to get weird. You're ready to learn about some weird games.
0: Yeah, I really jumped into my side of things. Like, unless there's anything you wanted to comment or, uh, you know, come care and campaign on or anything.
1: Nah, man. I mean, uh, I've I usually when I run the brain bucket. Uh, It is with a much lower level party than yours, so it goes a little quicker. And we've talked endlessly about Writhing in the Dark, Uh, several uh, different episodes. It's obviously a favorite module of ours, so I don't really have anything to add. Uh,
0: I guess we definitely, we never uh, talked about with the intellect developers, though. Uh, True, yeah, exactly. I I really like, like, particularly the fact that the Dwerger has an intellect devourer in them like that is what's going on with them and then yeah having yeah that you know that jump it, out of her head when Connor tries to get the or when Hex tries to get the brain
1: Yeah thinking on it uh I was I was mistaken I totally have run the encounter with the intellect devourer coming out of the Dwerger.
0: Ah yeah it's it's a great moment
1: And those intellect devourers uh Rapidly becoming a new favorite monster of mine, especially after their representation in Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves. That was uh, the highlight of the movie for me. I Love fun that moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I tried to do mine more like scuttling. Uh, like I said, like a facehugger. Uh, or well, uh,
1: what I was thinking is uh, head crabs from Half-Life. Yeah,
0: that's another, another very, good reference very
1: point, mini intellect devourer. Those head crabs.
0: Yeah. weird rpgs i'm i'm
1: down for it and uh we're actually we're starting with not rpgs we're starting with gnomic games And then uh, I'm approaching this one in a really sort of unusual way. I'm going to do like a sort of a lazy spiral with the center of that spiral being Wisher, Theragist, Fatalist, uh, Weaver of Their Fates, WTF, WTF. Simply because um, WTF is a very... Like, what's the word? It's not that it's dense. It's like oblique it's intentionally, well, it's like obfuscated, you know, like it's, it's almost intentionally difficult to understand. And it took me a lot of research to actually figure out what was going on in the game, like how the game is actually played. So, um, so I don't know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a bit of an oddball one, but we'll get there. And, uh, strap
0: myself in for this ride
1: yeah and uh what i had said before was that it reminds me a lot of gnomic and so you don't know what gnomic is
0: Nah, i don't know this.
1: gnomic is a game where every action in the game changes the rules of the game um Typically, it's, pl- it's played in text form. It was created in 1982 by a philosopher named Peter, S- Peter Suber. And the idea is that you start with a basic set of rules, and then each player can change the rules, add to the rules. Uh, according to Peter Suber, the basic rule set of Gnomek is this. A rule change may be... The addition of a new mutable rule, the amendment of a mutable rule, the repeal of a mutable rule, the transmutation of a rule from mutable to immutable, or the inverse, the transmutation of a rule from immutable to mutable. So an example of this, for example, here I'm gonna, we're gonna just generate some a, a mini game of Gnomic here, Tom. So in our game of Gnomic, Rule number one is all players must follow the rules. And then I pass the turn to you, and you can add a rule, you can change the existing rule, you can decide that the existing rule is mutable or immutable.
0: Uh, I gotta add a rule that... Uh... I. Uh, do you want
1: do you want an example of the kind of thing yeah, you could say? Yeah, sure. Okay, so the rules are: all players must follow the rules. Rule two is: in order to add a new rule, the players must vote, and the only way the rule gets added is if there is total consensus. So now, if you were to say, I want to add a rule that each new rule has to start uh, by addressing the other player. So you could say, like, from now on, if you want to add a rule, I, McGill, would have to say, Tom, the new rule is this. So that can be a rule. But, but then we
0: have to vote on it.
1: But we have to vote on it. So obviously, I'm in favor of this, this new rule. Are you?
0: I'm in favor.
1: All right. So it passes. Now we have three rules.
0: Okay, uh, I'm gonna adjust the rule about voting. I'm gonna say Tom doesn't have to vote.
1: Okay, so, so now all players must follow the rules. When a new rule is added, only McGill has to vote, and it's passed if McGill says yes.
0: I guess. (laughs) And you have to. And when I propose,
1: yeah, and and when whenever someone proposes a new rule, they have to address the other person. Oh, but you broke the rules because you did. Oh, you no wait, you did say McGill. The next rule is this, right?
0: I don't remember.
1: (laughs) So, this is why it's it's very possible I messed up. This is why it's best played in text uh, because you're basically creating a big list of rules, and then all the rules are there for everybody to see so they can cross reference. And of course, the game quickly changes things can get really weird the the rules can contradict each other you could even have a rule that says the rules are can, allowed to contradict each other
0: i can tactically force you to play the game with yourself it seems
1: yeah absolutely um so it goes on and on and on nomic and uh having played this before it is actually pretty fun because it does like it gets you to think creatively, you can think up interesting rules that sort of stymie the other players and give you an advantage that lets you, you know, pass as many rules as you want, or things like that. Um, some games of Gnomic have been going on for a long time. There's one called Agora that's online, and it's been running since 1993. Um, there's a, a game called Blog Blognomic that does an interesting thing where uh, it, it has a win condition, and every time someone wins, what's called a dynasty, a new dynasty begins, where all except a few privileged rules are repealed, and the game sort of starts anew. Uh, it's, it's almost like Crusader Kings, right? It's like this dynastic idea where there's some holdover from previous versions of the game. Um there's all different ways to play Gnomic. Some people layer it on top of existing games like Monopoly. Uh, they can You can bring a deck of cards into it. Um, it's just, it's a game where creating the rules and amending the rules is the game and sort of the objective is to make you think uh, about these sort of interesting uh, aspects of things like the democratic process or even the legal system, just like comprehending and puzzling out the interactions of rules and language
0: i'm worried you're bringing me some slab of tofu here a slab of tofu yeah metaphor
1: a metaphor no it's it's not a metaphor though like this is this is this is exactly what nomic is no sorry i'm
0: i'm trying i i'm worried that in this setup for what you're about to bring me the role-playing game I'm worried that the metaphor for this game is going to be a slab of tofu. Uh,
1: it's not, though. It's not. You'll see why WTF reminded me of Gnomic when I get into it. Um, but before I get into that, I wanted to ask you, Tom, can you think of any examples of Gnomic that exist in sort of pop culture? Any uh, that you might have come across? Here's one uh, that you may have played. feel like played. this is a
0: trick question.
1: It's not, though. Here's one that you may have played. You ever heard of a card game called Flux?
0: Yeah, see, when you talked about Nomic, I wondered, I did think of Flux. I was like, is that that weird card game? But then I realized you would have said it was a card game. Well, Flux um,
1: is a form of Nomic because Flux is a card game, and it starts off with everybody gets a, a hand of cards, and the, the starting rule is, on your turn, draw a card and play a card. But then the cards that you can play change the rules. So suddenly, you might have a card that overrides the previous one and says, on your turn, you draw three cards and play one card. Or you draw three cards, discard a card and play two cards. Uh, and so, Flux, the game continues with everybody playing, and then win conditions are their own cards. So at some point, somebody can play a win condition and then suddenly everybody has a goal that they're trying to work towards and it might be something like the first player to have 10 cards in their hand wins the game or the first player to have a specific combination of cards in their hand wins the game. Um, but yeah, Flux is just sort of like a more structured card game form of Nomic, these Nomic games where the fun is in changing the rules uh, and the rules themselves sort of being the gameplay. But uh, there's an even more popular, more famous example of nomic that a lot of, like, philosophers reference when talking about games like nomic. You have any idea? I'll give you a hint. It's from a comic strip.
0: Uh, is it Calvin Ball?
1: It is Calvin Ball. Calvin Ball is a form of nomic Because, of course, the rules are always changing in Calvin Ball. And they're always the most ridiculous things, you know? You, you... You screw up in Calvin Ball, you, you got a penalty, so you got to sing a song about how you suck. And, uh, you know, you got to hop around in a potato sack for this part of the game. There's, they're always coming up with new rules. Um, and then there are sort of even less structured forms of that. There's a, a game, an improv, a British improv game called Mornington Crescent. You ever heard of this one? No where this one is all nonsense, where the ostensibly the objective is to get some other player to mention the London tube stop of Mornington Crescent. But really what the game is, is everybody pretending like they know this complex rule set when none actually exists. So somebody, somebody will be like, I'm going to name... King's Cross. And then all the other players go, oh, but is King's Cross allowed in this version of the rules? I thought it was amended in 1978 when they introduced the Wutheringhamshire rules. And then everybody just sort of improvs and debates, you know, oh, but does this rule set include, are you allowed to do that? Or are you only allowed to do that on every other turn? No, I thought it was, you know, concurrent with the current turn, blah, blah, blah. But, of course, it's all just made up. It's, it's just having fun uh, with the idea of a game whose rules are so complex that only, that if you're playing with an expert and nobody explains the rules, it makes no sense. So that that's a, a more like freewheeling form, a freewheeling comedy form of Gnomek is something like Mornington Crescent. And uh, one more example I want to mention is the game of Mao. Are you familiar with this one? I don't think so. This one is played with a standard deck of playing cards and um, it's actually the game, pl- The like the actual game that you're playing with Mao is very similar to Crazy 8's. You have a hand of cards, there's a deck of cards in the center of the playing table with one card face up and you have to, the objective is to get rid of all your cards. However, Mao has a, a, a complex set of rules and the only rule that is allowed to be said is, uh, this is the only rule I can tell you. And then the players play in silence, and the idea behind it is that anybody who doesn't know the rules to Mao figures out through trial and error. You know, they'll play a card, and one of the other players might be like, uh, you know, nope, yeah, penalty point of order you're not allowed to play that and if you get a penalty you're handed a card so your hand gets bigger it's harder for you to go out and the uh, players have to talk in the third person is a rule that some people uh, adopt Um, a face value reverses order of play when played aces cause the next player to skip their turn but of course this is all done in silence and then somebody will say something like are you allowed to do that? And then one of the other players will say, like, no talking. You're not allowed to talk about the rules and penalize them and give them a card. So it's, it's I don't know, it, it, it's an unusual sort of form of gnomic where the rules are never spoken. They are only discovered through play. And y- yeah, you, you don't know what the rules are until you play and you do it wrong. It's another weird card game. So why am I talking about all these gnomic games, Tom? Do you have an idea? No. So, uh, Wisher, Thayergist, and Fatalist. Uh, This is the RPG we're looking at. It is a storytelling game by Jenna Moran, um, who apparently, I, I I was unfamiliar with Jenna Moran, but she has apparently written a lot of really wild RPG games. Uh, including something called Chubo's marvelous wish granting engine. Oh. oh man,
0: I've heard of that one.
1: Yeah, uh nomine is another one of hers.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard of that one too.
1: Yeah, so um, she's a known quantity and this is a free game that you can get online. Uh, you can go to a far and a su- a far and a sunlessland.files.wordpress.com is where you'll find the PDF. And uh, it's free. And boy, it is weird. Like, it it's difficult for me to know exactly how to approach this one simply because, as I said at the top, like, it is deliberately difficult to parse. So, I'm going to read you the introduction and you'll see what I mean. Just because, like, the language, it's just so... I don't know. It's very, it is difficult to understand. Reality is an illusion. Those who seek to understand it corrode their understanding of it. In naivete, objects are solid, ideas are true or false, sensations are real, and communication conveys information. To the adept, these things are as fading dreams. There is no object that is not also emptiness. There is no arbiter of truth. Sensations are the lies of Maya. They are the shifting of electrical patterns in the brain. They are signifiers without referent. Communication is violence. Reality is false. It does not matter how many layers one peels back. It does not matter what revelations one has, because there is no truth. We are things that we have dreamed, and there is no sense in it. And when the sleeper wakes, we shall be washed away. You have any idea, like, what the game is based on that
0: uh like some sort of weird metaphysical existential game
1: it is it is very much that um so ultimately reminds me
0: of uh it's funny you said in nominee and i'm like in nominee is that am i getting mixed up with but i wasn't it was i was also thinking of nobilis which is a game uh a role-playing game where you play abstract concepts oh
1: interesting man maybe future danger room potential um yeah so what i'm gonna do here with that sort of introduction in mind and you guessed correctly like we're dealing with something that is sort of metaphilosophical this,
0: this person's name is jenna moran yeah also made noblest there we go the player characters are sovereign powers called the noblest. Each noble is the personification of an abstract concept or class of things such as time, death, cars, or communication. Seems noblest like general Moran use dice. <laughs> or, or, noblest does not use dice or other random elements to determine the outcome of characters a- actions, but uses instead uses a point-based system for task re- resolution.
1: That's interesting. Uh, uh, I will say WTF does use dice at least, but, uh, seems like Jenna Moran likes this kind of thing, likes playing with just the very idea of what a game can be, what an RPG can be. And so I'm going to sort of do like a zoom in, zoom out thing where I'll talk about what I have figured out about the game in more simple terms, but then I will also refer to this, uh, this source document and, uh, We can sort of pour over the more intricate and florid language used in describing it. But here is, at its core, what Wisher, theergist, Fatalist is. The idea here is that it is an RPG. It is a fantasy RPG where the characters... uh, There there are three characters, a Wisher, a theergist, and a Fatalist... And they are adventuring in a fictional world for an object, a MacGuffin, called the Jewel of All Desiring. The Jewel of All Desiring is this, like, magical item, I guess you could say. It's like an all-powerful item, and when one of the players obtains it, the entire world is reformed in the way that they want Uh, In their vision of of the game world. And in in reforming the game world as it is, uh, the game world has suddenly always been that way. You're changing the very reality of the game by obtaining the jewel of all desiring. And uh, so, I mean, like, what the heck does that even mean? Here's what it comes down to, Tom. Each of the classes, the wisher, the theurgist, the fatalist, they each have very specific things that they can do and only they can do. And these actions, these powers that they have, alter the very nature of the RPG. So the Weaver, the GM, is one of these three characters as well. Um, And here's, here's how to sort of put it into simple terms. The Fatalist uses their powers to describe the game world. For example, a Fatalist might say, Orcs live in this cave with their pie. Theurgists use their powers to enforce and elaborate upon rules. So Orcs are big and strong. They roll damage like this, and the theurgist could say, you know, they roll damage with a d6. And then Wishers, Wishers are the player who, like, decides what the purpose of things is and also can sort of drive the group towards an action. So, for example, a fatalist would say, orcs live in this cave with their pie. A thayer just would say, orcs in this world are big and strong and roll a d6 for damage. And wishers say, we should defeat the orcs and take their delicious pie. So,
0: so then what does the weaver do?
1: so the the weaver is the basically the guide of the game uh, and who sort of has the final say in what in what goes. and uh, there's a lot of debate over like, should the Thayer just also be the weaver? That seems like you know maybe maybe that makes more sense, but like ultimately, what this is all building towards is that. Uh, Where's the write-up? Hang on. The Weaver. There's a thing here. The Weaver, the GM. The Weaver is actually a character, a Wisher, Theragist, or Fatalist. They're unable to use the Jewel of All Desiring or sacrifice themselves to become the Firmament. They're possessed by a strange lassitude that holds them back from solving the problems of the world. And a weird mechanic here is that... uh, if the weaver comes into conflict with one of the other players because that player does not like how the weaver has interpreted the rules, there there is a roll-off of dice, and if the challenging player wins, they become the new weaver. But of course, if you're the weaver, you also don't get to obtain the Jewel of All Desiring. So it's like this weird... Thought puzzle, it's like a philosophical thought puzzle, where you and two other players each assume a role that has a very specific power that is limited to your player. One of the three players also sort of gets final say in the game world. Together you have to build the game world with your power statements uh, in order to work towards obtaining the jewel of all desiring which you can't obtain if you yourself are the Weaver. But at any point, you can also dispute the Weaver's calls, roll some dice, and potentially become the Weaver yourself. So, uh, maybe a good way to put this into words would be to read the prologue of the story of the game. This game document is 100 pages long, and let me tell you, there's still a lot of stuff in here that I don't exist. There are a lot of, like, diagrams of, like, stars and stuff. Uh, Let me... Let me just send you a link to it so you can flip through it. But it is like, when I was reading this, uh, I was reminded of Beetlejuice, where they find the handbook for the recently deceased. And Alec Baldwin's character says, this reads like stereo instructions <laughs> for the afterlife. Like, this this really reads like, just the instructions are so weird. Um, but here's what I'll say. Like, the game... The game document does contain a campaign in it, and so here's the prologue of that campaign that does sort of coalesce what I'm saying of it. It does like, uh, does firm it up a little, congeals it, maybe. Um, The players discuss what it means to find the jewel of all desiring and create the world. Initial statements are statements regarding the world, objective statements in the player's voice. However, it is possible at any point to shift into character and begin using statements as made by your character, or describing the ways in which your character wrestles with the problem laid out above. Not long after the discussion begins, it becomes possible for characters to use supernatural attributes to shape key elements of how the story will play out. Will the characters cooperate with or seek to defy the Weaver? Is this the kind of game where the Weaver starts things off with a plot hook that pulls the characters from their sleepy hometowns? Or the kind of game where each character's story begins with a kicker? A player-chosen crisis that drives them immediately into action and is relevant to the theme and story of the game. Are you playing yourselves, or are you making up new identities for the course of the game? And then as suddenly as that, it begins. So uh, one thing I find interesting relating to our last episode is that deciding how to get the party together is like the first step in the game. It's not one that's just made up necessarily by the Weaver immediately, because before that even happens, the players discuss. Is this the kind of game where the Weaver starts things off with a plot hook? Or is this one where each character has a player-chosen crisis that drives them into the action? We're getting really meta, and and I get the impression that that's sort of the point. Like, the Wisher, the Theragist, and the Fatalist, and the Weaver all reflect aspects of your average RPG. They don't reflect things like, you know, player characters, or setting, or or dice systems. They reflect, like, what is essential for an RPG to function. Uh, just uh, how do, how do they put it here? They talk about how... Like the, where is it? I was, I was referring, oh yeah. Fatalists are the what? Wishers are the why? And theergists are the how? You need at least one of each to play WTF.
0: Fatalists are the what?
1: Wishers are the why? theergists are, the are the how? Theragists or the I, I prefer this, this user written, uh, write-up it's in uh, the r slash rpg forum on reddit uh the thread is called what are the strangest and most unique role-playing games you know this player says Fatalists use their power to describe the game world, theergists use their power to enforce and elaborate upon the the rules, and Wishers use their powers to decide what the purpose of things is. So again, Fatalist says, orcs live in the cave with their pie. Thayergists say, in this world, orcs are big and strong and rule damage like this. Wishers say, we should defeat the orcs and take their pie. So you've got, like, a statement about the world. You have an elaboration upon that statement. You know, orcs live in this cave. Well, what are orcs like? The Thayer just decides. And then the wisher says, so our party, with that in mind, should do this. A wisher could also say, we want to avoid the orcs
0: entirely. Have I lost you? (laughs) I mean, the whole thing is kind of perplexing.
1: Perplexing is the, the perfect word for it um let me read a bit more uh because yeah like man so much of this game document i just still don't get it's it's written in a very florid language there is a lot of lingo and not a lot provided in terms of like glossary definitions but once you get to the actual story of the game which can be found on page 72 it actually does start talking in terms that make sense. So, introductions. Each character catches up to the present, simultaneously or in turns. They are facing a crisis, a kicker or some other problem tied to their circumstances. Unfortunately, they fail and everybody dies. (laughs) The standard game of WTF the characters then assemble in a land called Rafe to begin their quest. If you all died, I guess just hand wave it or something. You're not really supposed to lose the game before book one. Anyway, in a standard game of WTF, the characters assemble in Rafe to begin their quest. So
0: I have two questions now. First is, is kicker like an actual like term in this game?
1: It is capitalized in the document, so I assume that does mean Sounds it's an likely. official term, uh, meaning a player chosen crisis that drives them into action and is relevant to the theme and story of the game. But
0: and I haven't, I haven't yet dying? found
1: where else in the documents it's referred to. Sorry.
0: Okay, and what is it that everybody? What's this about? Everybody dies before the game starts. Why? It just says.
1: Uh, each each character catches up to the present simultaneously or in turns. They are facing a crisis, a kicker, or some other problem tied to their circumstances. And then it says, unfortunately, they fail and everybody dies. And then book one begins and it says, you're not supposed to die before book one. I don't know what it means. I feel, okay. like, but I get the impression that because of, you know, what I was saying about this being sort of no y in my mind, I guess like that introduction, part of what you're debating with the other players is, do we all die as a result of this? <laughs> um so, in a standard game of WTF, the characters assemble in Wraith to begin their quest. Having lost the jewel of all desiring, the royalty of Rafe has become vampiric, treacherous, cold-blooded, and bloodthirsty monsters. They have elected to help in the discovery of the jewel. Setting forth without their blessing would be unimaginably proper. So, with that, that little paragraph, suddenly, like, my mind is clicking into how to do this. You know, the weaver says that. And I can then see the players immediately going like, they're vampiric, bloodthirsty monsters. Okay, Thayer, just what does that mean? And the Thayer just goes like, well, that doesn't mean they've turned into vampires, though they ha- they do have a tendency to feed on blood. However, they can walk in the sunlight. And suddenly, the Thayer just has elaborated upon an existing rule, and we have a better sense of these weird sort of daywalker, bloodthirsty monsters that rule the royalty of Wraith. You understand what I mean? And then the wisher might go, okay, uh, I think that rather than seek the blessing of the royalty of Rafe, instead, we should disguise ourselves as peasants and try to move outside their borders without being detected. And then something like the fatalist would be like, the border is 30 miles away. And so now we've got more details on all of these things. We have a motivation, which is to get out of Rafe without encountering the royalty, because the royalty will be mad that we didn't get their blessing. And on we go.
0: Would the Thayer just then potentially provide, like, common means of travel?
1: Uh, Sure. Um, The Thayer just could suggest some, or even the Fatalist could say, there's a caravan leaving in 10 minutes. And then the Thayer just could elaborate upon that and be like, but the caravan also contains several members of the royalty, of the royal family and on and on and build and build and build. Um, there's a section here after that introduction that says practical threats, vampires, the characters can get abducted and eaten at the weaver's discretion. They may also be co-opted by Rafe entangled in its politics or dynasties. Moral threats, it's possible to lose the game right here in Rafe." Right now, that is, prior to the use of attributes, the characters are not worthy of finding the jewel of all desiring. They are unable to work together adequately. For these reasons, Rafe will rightly refuse its blessing to the characters. A short travelogue may spontaneously manifest, during which there is no imminent practical or moral threat, allowing it to come to fruit, whisking characters quickly through the civilized regions, and murder it brutally if it looks like it will go on too long. If your group enjoys spending time in random civilized kingdoms, you'll find good apocalyptic scenarios for, the, for each of them in the section on the civilized peoples in the Fatalists book. You can insert a practical or moral threat or two here. So it, it seems like what happens is the Weaver can use pre, preset ideas like these, and then the players build upon them to formulate the game world as they're playing with only the wisher dictating what their next goal is going to be. Okay. It's weird. Um, yeah. It is common for the characters to proceed from Rafe to a neighboring civilization, tin An. Why? I'm sure I couldn't say. tin An is calcifying. Its people are dying. Its symposia and scholars and the urchins who live in the bridges above the buildings offer much useful information. The axe man sworn to the service of the duke hunts wishers in accordance with an ancient law that forbids attempts to wish upon the jewel. It is appropriate to pay one's respects to the duke and the foremost scribe. So something I do think is pretty cool about this, uh, especially after we covered like low life, where... I was also saying, like, it's so lingo heavy and it really does require a lot of sort of uh, pre-existing knowledge, a lot of research in advance of play to adopt the voice of the lowlife uh, boss and, and so on. What I like about this by comparison is we just got a whole bunch of lingo But it doesn't matter that we don't know what it is, because the players themselves come up with the meaning, right? Like, when I say the Axeman sworn to the service of the Duke hunts wishers in accordance with an ancient law that forbids attempts to wish upon the jewel. So you can go like, the Axeman, who the hell's the Axeman? And then the Fatalist can be like, the Axeman is a tall orc with a double-headed battle axe and a scar running down his face, sworn to service of the Duke. And then the Thayer just could be like, uh the axe man deals two d eight damage with his axe, but fortunately he's very clumsy and only has you know the ability to move at a slow pace and then the wisher can be like, Well, let's make sure we don't run into him."
0: He wishes
1: he wishes um The game continues. there are multiple books. And each of these books just has, like, different types of, of suggestions of, of, like, NPCs to encounter, monsters to encounter. During Book 2, the characters must travel through the lands of the Savage Peoples. You can pad the story here with crises where the characters get killed or almost killed or assimilated. It is common but not obligatory to include one moral crisis. See the section on the Savage Peoples in the Fatalists book. Moral cr- moral threats. Savage peoples may reject the characters, demonstrating their unworthiness. The characters will fail to learn something that was necessary for them to learn. Book three. You can skip this book if you don't have time, although that means never knowing what happened in it, or if the characters found the jewel of all desiring when you weren't looking. Like, it's, it has a very, like, playful tone to it as well. Throwing these ideas out there. Book four is the Ur-Toads. You gotta... Encounter the Er urtoads. Urtoads are just really big toads. They have jewels in their foreheads. These jewels are not the jewel of all desiring, which is why there (laughs) is this. This uh, sorry, which is why there are so few lily pads in the world. They should be insanely cool, dreadful, and awe-inspiring. It is helpful to imagine that they are mysterious and sagacious. Sagacious, Tom. I don't even know what that means. Do you?
0: I'm familiar with the word but I don't know what it means sagacious no, no, off the
1: top of my head uh having or showing keen mental discernment and good judgment they're shrewd these toads are shrewd they are immune to most mortal mechanisms of force and expel dreadful poisons when baited there's an oracle in book 4 and then book 5 is the conclusion leading to the jewel of all desiring um so that is like that's just sort of an overview of like how the game functions but there is a lot of other stuff going on here um it is uh man like character creation alone is is quite strange do you want to attempt some of this
0: uh yeah sure why not so, before play,
1: if you are playing W2F, it is obviously too late to do anything about what happens before play. <laughs> God. it's Cheeky. So cheeky. Before beginning to tell the story, get together with the other players. Create characters together. Encourage everyone to create a character simultaneously. That's the recommended way to do it. If you find that some people already have created characters, though, go ahead and create yours on your own. Discuss characters and the world with the other players so as to make yourself more aware of possible opportunities for fun. Here's how to create your WTF character. If if this is the beginning of the game, players go through these steps together. Everyone to stage one, then everyone stage two, then everyone stage three all at the same time. Stage one, character concept. Decide on a brief character history and concept, if not already. Spend at least 15 seconds and at most It says XX minutes expressing this concept. So you can set your own timer. The footnote on XX minutes says construe this as sufficiently descriptive. (laughs) So set your own timer. Now, this isn't really going to work with just the two of us because, of course, you need at least three players to fill the roles of Wisher, Theragist, and Fatalist. But do you want to come up with a character concept?
0: Uh... Okay, I'm a cool army man.
1: Cool army man, and uh and why not I'll be your your uh diminutive goblin best friend. Hey. We met in the army
0: roles. Ah, <laughs> cool.
1: So in WTF there are three attributes: harmony, insight, and knowledge. Each of the three classes uh is determined by the highest stat um now what was it it'll get to it but i'm just gonna skip ahead a little bit see if i can f- remember which is wish oh, wish wishers have the highest score in harmony uh i believe thayer just have the highest in not in insight and fatalists in knowledge i believe that's how it is but, uh, so pick one of Harmony, Insight, or Knowledge to be your highest attribute. Your highest attribute starts at four, and your other two attributes start at zero. So which is going to be your highest? Do you want to be like a Wisher, a theurgist, or a Fatalist?
0: Uh, and my, my options are Harmony...
1: Insight button. and Knowledge.
0: Uh, let's go with Knowledge as my highest one.
1: All right, and I'll... Does
0: that, make a Does that make me a fatalist?
1: Yes, and I'll say, my goblin dude, uh, let's make him the wisher. He's very driven by impulse, so he'll decide what the motivations are. Now, you divide two bonus points among the three attributes in any fashion that you like. So you have a, uh. a four in knowledge... You could have four Knowledge, one Insight, one Harmony, or two Harmony, or two Insight, or you could even have six Knowledge and zero in the other two stats.
0: Uh, let's go two Harmony, uh, and what does that leave me with?
1: Two har- Nothing. That's it.
0: Okay, cool.
1: So two Harmony, zero Insight, Knowledge, four. And then powers. Now I feel like I'm going to have to end up uh, going to the page on powers to describe these, but we can just sort of pick them first and, uh, and go from there. So for your powers, first uh, you get a choice of five different powers, and you have to choose one to be your highest power. Creatures, law, people, self, or substance.
0: Uh, the first one was Creatures? Yeah. Uh, was one of them People? Yeah. I'm gonna go with People.
1: People is your highest power, and then you get to choose one to be your second highest power.
0: That'll go with Creatures.
1: Creatures. So your highest power begins at three, so you have People three, Creatures one, your second highest power begins at one, then everything else is at zero. Okay. And now let me look up these powers just so that I can can figure out exactly what they do. Here we go. So um, a brief description here about the attributes and powers. Might as well add it in here now that we've done some choosing. So harmony uh, is the spirit and charisma of the wisher. Insight is the capacity to perform theurgy. And knowledge is the lore of the fatalist. These are supernatural spiritual abilities. Then powers. Creatures are the power that governs living things. Law is the power that governs physical and moral law. People is the power that governs people and their societies. Self is the power that governs the self. Substance is the power that governs the physical substance of the world. And then shadow is the power over the shadow that dwells behind the world, and you'll note that shadow was not listed in the options I gave you.
0: Yeah, I was wondering about and that.
1: Shadow is like a different thing. These skills rate from zero to five and focus the player's ability to use their supernatural attributes. Uh, attributes here. I'm gonna. I'm gonna read these little blurbs on. Uh, on the attributes just so we get a sense of how they fit in but boy like there's a there's a already we're getting lost in the weeds here as an example harmony harmony fits you together with other people you can use it to persuade to charm to be the moral center of a group Most importantly, you use it when forging consensus among disparate voices and making people happy with the choices you advocate. It is the character with harmony who explains what people should believe, what is right, what is valuable, and what is worthwhile. It is always valuable to believe what a character with high harmony says, but it is not necessarily correct. Thus, one may say to a wisher, Your vision of the world inspires me, but I fear it is not truth. Wishers rely on the harmony attribute. But there's also deceptive harmony. Harmony gives way to discord when someone lies about what is right and what is valuable and what is good. A wisher becomes a creature of shadow when they begin to tell people that which is not right is right. That that which they should not believe, they should believe. That that which is invidious and without value is exalted and beneficent. As you'll see later, any player can declare a wisher deceptive, but this can have unpleasant consequences. And uh, this declaration like the wisher is deceptive, this factors into what I was saying about how players get to trade off uh, who is the weaver, who sort of gets the final say on the world. I should say, uh, before I continue, that part of what makes this such a like difficult game to parse to wrap your head around is that there are very few resources online. There are I could not find any examples of play. I went on YouTube and I was Googling and and searching for Wisher, Thayer, just Fatalist. The closest I found to any example of play was somebody who managed to port this into an Amiga game that's like a text-based adventure. (laughs) But, like... the, the clip of it is two minutes long and they don't actually do anything in the game that triggers any of these types of mechanics. Like, there was no point in this uh, text-based Amiga game where anybody else starts debating, you know, what something means. Um, a lot of things that I found in searching for Wish or Thayer's Fatalist, there are a lot of threads on Reddit where just the question is, has anybody played this game? Is this game even playable? Like the question of can you even play this game or is it just a big thought exercise is one that is just everywhere, everywhere uh, in association with WTF. Um, One poster on Reddit said, I have played this game. The crucial part is taking the book, deciphering what the mechanics really do and compiling a cheat sheet. It's elegant, but presented in an intentionally confusing way. I like how the rules facilitate creating a setting and story together, filling in the blanks, discussing, often with dice, how it works and what it means. I love how the book presents the path, to the, P- the, path the PCs are to take as doomed at every step, and thus forces the players to think outside of the box, mixing in-game and metagame actions in unique ways. My players skipped the urtoads entirely and took a shortcut towards the jewel, then threatening to take the Weaver role from me if I tried to undermine their plan. Another highlight was the ending when the Wisher was judged unworthy and reacted by sacrificing himself. The roles switched around with the previous Fatalist taking over his Theergist and judging the previous Theergist worthy of taking the jewel. So, like. I think you really nailed it with your initial assessment where I was saying, what do you think this is? And you said, this is like some like meta philosophical puzzle. And it really is very much that trading the roles between each other, uh, trading the, the GM role, uh, between the players. Um, in reading this player's comment, it it now becomes clear to me as well that one thing that the Weaver is trying to do is present threats to the the party. And so, you know, they say, the player says here in their comment, um, my players skipped the Ertoads by taking a shortcut towards the jewel and then threatened to take the Weaver role from me if I tried to undermine their plan. So, like, there is a case where they knew that the GM was going to try and throw some problem in their way if they took a shortcut. And so the the other players were saying, yeah, but if you do that, we're going to challenge you and roll off, and you might not even be the GM at the end of that. Interesting. Interesting to contemplate. Um, There is a big, big write-up on uh, RPG Write-Ups. That's writeups.letsyouandhimfight.com um you can find a big yeah. long huh
0: That's uh isn't that where uh we got alien rope burns thing on uh Yeah it's from let's that's where the thing on low life was from Makes let's perfect sense <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh this is posted by some guy called Pleasing Fungus um And yeah uh originally post that's right originally posted on something awful here it is Um he does a very big, long write-up of this that is just as confusing. <laughs> like, I was reading, and man, there's just so much. Like, there's all these weird diagrams. All three books have a similar structure. The, uh, each book uh, relates to a character class. So there's the Wisher book, the Theragist book, the Fadeless book. These are all sections in the, in the game document. All three books have a similar structure, specifically each begins with how to resolve disputes, follows it with some philosophy, then follows that with Microsoft Word illustration flowcharts. One of the sets of flowcharts is very confusing, but is core to the way the game is meant to be played, the other two I suspect have been made afterward to match, and are essentially page-long elaborate jokes that are also confusing. Like, man, uh, here, just take a look at this flowchart, tell me what you make of it.
0: OMG! I'm playing WTF. You are fated to play WTF. Hey, you're playing WTF. Your actions manifest WTF. OMG! I'm playing WTF. <laughs> People think you're playing WTF, and there are angels. You are playing WTF. This link may be followed by additional. Play- this is all. Uh, like I, I'll tell you what interests me about this game <laughs> is I like the idea of a quest to redefine the world in which the entire exercise is about defining the world exactly that which you do that quest. That's, that's the
1: thing that kept me interested enough in this to like do my research and dive deep and figure out what it's all about. Because
0: particularly funny because you can challenge the weaver, but it's like, like, the idea of becoming the game master, if, if we t- interpret the Weaver as being the game master, I know it's not quite, but the idea of, like, if if the quest to create the world is not going your way, you can just challenge the person who is creating the world, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but then you don't get to be part of the... Like, you don't get to create the world after, but you seize control of the world now man
1: and uh i should say that it seems as though the the included five book campaign is how you're supposed to play like i suppose you could come up with like right in advance your own five book campaign but it seems as though Part of the intention here is to give the players a story with terminology that is not firmed up. It is not set in stone and it is not fully defined. And then based on that, the players can collaborate and elaborate on what it all means and what direction everything is going to go in. Um, It seems like that's pretty crucial. Uh, In that write-up on RPG RPG write-ups... It says, as loosely structured as WTF is mechanically, it's tightly structured narratively. Play is comprised of five books, each of which presents certain challenges and threats. Play proceeds forward linearly through the books, uh, uh, sorry, though the book notes it's possible if risky to skip ahead, and at the end awaits the jewel of all desiring, assuming your party hasn't gotten itself killed or its quest invalidated en route. First up is the prologue, in which players discuss what it means to find the Jewel of All Desiring. The conversation is supposed to naturally shift from talking about the world to talking about your characters, and as your characters, and as soon as you're talking as your characters, you are then playing the game. Two methods are suggested for starting things off. We mentioned these already. The weaver can use a plot hook, or players can come up with their own individual kickers to drive them immediately into action. WTF also asks if you're making up new identities or if you're just playing yourself, which apparently you can do. Book one is the Civilized Lands. First up is Rafe, um, the 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 land of the former owner of the Jewel of All Desiring, ruled by a vampiric nobility. The vampires will offer help, and seeking the jewel without their blessing would be improper. But they may eat you, or worse, judge you unworthy. It's a tough deal. There may or may not be a travelogue at some point. And then it's on to Tinan, the city at the center of the world. A beautiful city that's also dying. This is where the Axeman that we mentioned hunts wishers by order of the Duke. The players may be unable to figure out where to go next. They may be unable to justify destroying the city by making a new world. Um, if they can't, there's no point in going on. If they can, book one ends. And... Uh, Like, there's a write-up for all five of the books. I'm not sure if I should do all five of these. I sort of skimmed them before. But here, let me talk a little bit about book five, which is the conclusion. It's what it sounds like. The first threat is that the weaver may stage a climactic fight with a recurring antagonist that kills everyone. It's a big threat. The larger threats resolve around, you find the jewel of all desiring. Someone's going to have to die to become the firmament of the new world. But are they willing? And after all this... Are you worthy? And then postscript, using harmony. To declare what something means, first you say you're, you're going to. Other players set a target, zero to seven. You make a harmony roll. The highest roller, if they equaled or beat the target, explains what the relevant thing means. Everyone should now play WTF in such a fashion as to make believing that explanation both appropriate and valuable. So thanks, WTF. Um, there are other, like, there's a lot of terminology here that I haven't even gotten into, things like Valence, Gifts, um, uh, Pramana, Mimasa, the Power of Shadow, Deceptive Harmony I talked about, Rules Toys, there's this flow chart section that is very perplexing, uh, attempting to model the flow of play mechanically, including non-mechanical elements such as GM decisions and role-playing, Uh, as represented by things called rules toys, which are composed of two components, event donuts linked by connectors. Each rules toy begins with a player interjection donut, which represents a player saying, I want to do X, and ends with a weaver donut, which represents the weaver saying, okay, that happens. In between, you travel from donut to donut, as indicated by a connecting arrow, which uh, each transit requires a roll, depending on the type of donut you're traveling to.
0: Yeah, I saw this in the rules, and I couldn't make heads or tails of it.
1: So P is the player, W is the weaver, and the connector is the mechanic's roll. Do you succeed? So, as an example, uh, the player says, I use my insight... To know into substance, you know substance being a power, I use my insight into substance to notice that the wall was covered with handholds all along, nearly too small to see. Or maybe I use my harmony with people to persuade the guard that if he allows us to reach the jewel, he'll have much more time to eat the jammy treats he loves. The connector in the rules toy is a solid line, so regardless of whether the player succeeds or fails, the weaver decides what the consequences are. Dotted lines are only taken on success. They're also very elaborate forms of rules toys with multiple sort of connections and donuts that ultimately just add up to flowcharts of how gameplay goes. So the player declares a new strategic goal. The connector there is should you be able to create an opportunity? If you do, then we move on to the fatalism node, the fatalism donut, which says your strategic progress increases by one. Another role... Does it matter? And then the weaver at the end says, well, something happens as a result of it all. These are all just the most vague terms, but a lot of this is just sort of like, what does it mean? I don't know. It's a mystery, but ultimately you get to decide. Uh, And I guess that's what it all comes down to because, oh man, like every time, every time I come across one of these diagrams, I'm just like, what the heck am I even looking at here? Uh, Like, what's that? The heck is that i don't even know these stars i don't understand what they mean and the write-up uh on rpg write-ups even that guy is saying like i don't really understand these <laughs> it doesn't seem like they they even are necessary to the
0: gameplay i mainly like this really makes me want to follow up on this with other jenner moran Uh, products in the danger room like nobilis and stuff because i want to see is there like a progression that led to this game in previous iterations of design like game designs or um you know is this kind of an outlier or what's Mm -mm, the impression i get is that
1: all her stuff is like this I definitely intend, to, maybe even next time, I'll just bring Chubo's Marvelous Wish-Granting Engine because that is supposedly, as described by this Reddit commenter, Jenna Moran, at her Jenna-ist. Um, but Nobilis and Inomine, like I'll look into those as well. Um, because I definitely get the sense that these games, while they are technically playable, they're definitely more designed to just make you sort of think... About how RPGs work, um, like here's a commenter that says, "Fatalists say how things are. Theurgists say how things should be, and wishers say what they want." For what was clearly meant to be something of a joke, this game cuts to the core of RPGs. Wishers are at core the true players because their power is choosing what is meaningful. Fatalists and theurgists split the role of GM in two, or maybe turn the rulebook into its own player as well. And one thing that a lot of people say, God, I love it. This user says, God, I love this game. Uh, in the write-up, it says, man, I love this game. It just, it seems like the kind of thing where once you really dive into it and start getting a sense of, of the intent, well, then maybe there's something, maybe there's some real meat here. Teresa, I like want to play sort of... my fighter. Thomas, no. Teresa, I could be a stripper ninja with katanas. Thomas, no, you're going to be Gandalf. Teresa, once I was a vital spirit of the world, an angel of Primea, an impulse born at the birth of creation. But now I have lived so long in an ordinary kind of flesh, I've forgotten my nature. Thomas, yes. Teresa, all right. <laughs>
0: what? <laughs> uh, I... like there's something i was even gonna say there but now i've lost it it's just jammed my brain with the nonsense oh sorry Uh, uh
1: once you start playing it you love it there's meat
0: right i think that this is some sort of weird meat that's like a delicacy somewhere but it's just weird It's like a poison fish or a, a pickled herring.
1: Oh, okay. Here we go. The last 15 pages of this document are a sample of play. So I'm going to read a few selections from this, all right? Oh, boy. Before play, Winona is troubled by her destiny as an example player in a WTF game. OMG, she thinks. I'm going to be playing WTF. Unwilling to cower and live in fear, she elects to face her destiny head-on. She gathers avid gamers, Teresa and Thomas, and hither be dragons, readers, Fiona and Froderick. These will be her gaming group. Are we actually playing, Fiona wonders? Like, now? No, says Thomas bluntly. No? No, this is still before play. If we were playing, then before play would be in the past, and we wouldn't be able to affect its accidents. (laughs) The group creates their characters. Winona opts to make a wisher, choosing harmony as her highest attribute. Teresa and Thomas create theergists favoring insight. Fiona and Frodrick create fatalists favoring knowledge. Thomas declares himself the weaver. I thought, Winona says, that we tried this without a weaver. You thought that, Thomas agrees. <laughs> there isn't any rule, Teresa says, for removing Thomas's declaration. If it does not manifest a corrupt insight, it flows from an imminent and immediate truth within his heart. Your insight can't be corrupt, Winona criticizes, if we haven't started playing yet. There's a pause. I retract my portion of that statement, Teresa says. Still, there's nothing to be done. Thomas says, now we begin the play of WTF. Winona says, I don't know if I'm in a state of infinite universal love yet. Thomas, you are. Winona, good to know. Thomas, what kind of characters do we have? Fiona, I was thinking I'd fall through a hole in the sky and land in the Dreaming Kingdoms. Winona, wouldn't you break your legs? Fiona, I am indomitable. Teresa, that's an interesting approach. So we can see here that it's, it is very much like a discursive game, like lots of playing around. It reminds me of a a book I have called There Are Two Errors in the title of this book, which is all about um, like philosophical logic problems and things like that. Like, you know, if if God is all-powerful, can he create a rock so big he can't lift it? Where you've, you've just created a, a, a paradox. Because, of course, if God can create that rock, then there's something he can't do, which is he can't lift it. But if he can't create that rock, then there's, again, something he can't do. So both cases prove that he is not all-powerful. And seeing just this transcript of play, we, we can see like weird, funny, philosophical things like that. Like, are we already playing? And then somebody says, no, we're not. Oh, OK, I guess we're not playing that. OK, now we're playing. Oh, I guess we are playing that. Um, and much like Nomic, bringing it back to what I was saying about Nomic, like so much of this is just sort of defining what people are doing, discussing and narrowing it down. You know, in this transcript, Thomas is the weaver. He says, what are you playing, Teresa? Teresa, oh, I'm in the game. Thomas, you created a character. Thomas, I could make you play a duck. Teresa, I would cast you down from your throne and immure you beneath the world if you made me a duck. I want to play a, fi- a fighter. Thomas says, no. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I I hesitate to continue with this because we're going it, It's just... I feel like we're going to fall down this deep rabbit hole where... I'm going to just say so many, this whole thing about planets and stars. I still don't fully understand what the heck that means. Dreaming the dream kingdom. Here is how to contemplate WTF. Decide that you want to open your mind to the infinite wonders of this game and choose an appropriate revelation tool. Uh, each rever- revelation tour- tool is a mandala through which the Dreaming Kingdoms can awaken your mind to their presence. Here are the standard components of these mandalas. The revelation star, the factual star, and the role-playing star. Also the authority star, the enlightenment star, the shadow star, the gold star. <laughs> like, it's just... I don't know, man. It is... It really feels... Like, at once, it feels sort of wishy-washy and new-agey. It feels ill-defined and overly interpretive, while at the same time, like, making that the point, is interpreting it as the point. Um, I should say as well, so this is, of course, Wisher Thayer and in Fatalist, and the Weaver of Their Fates, WTF and WTF. And uh, there is a supplement that Jenna Moran put out Called that languidly dreamt rafe, or TLDR, <laughs> and uh, it gives it's a it's only a three page supplement, and it just gives you a couple more flowcharts, but uh, on just ideas such as playable WTF and even competitive WTF. So there's apparently a way to make this competitive, like fully competitive, using what is called a challenge loop.
0: The the examples of play make this game sound and feel to me like an inside joke between people that I would find insufferable.
1: So this goes back to what I was saying about Mornington Crescent. Like, there is quite a bit of... Well, I, I wouldn't say there's a lot of Mornington Crescent to WTF, but I would say that it reminds me of Mornington Crescent, where, like, you know, apparently this is playable, but I do get the impression that a lot of the fun is is more from people who have played this before bringing someone new into the fold and then just, like, screwing with that person with all this stuff that'll go over their heads. <laughs> you know, like, the in the sample of play, this idea where the character Teresa is going like, have we even started playing? And then another player says, no. Okay, but now we have. It's just like you're kind of messing with someone.
0: Yeah, don't... Not me. Not me. So
1: this, in the end, you're coming down on the side of, you would not play this.
0: No, it makes me interested in other games like Noblis and stuff, but I don't... I I have no... Uh does there's nothing that makes me want to rush out and play this, no.
1: Yeah, I I don't know where I where I fully fall on it. I wish there were more resources out there. Like I would really love to see a video of some people playing this to get a sense of how it actually flows. Um because like you said, like even the transcript just kind of makes this seem like a big inside joke. But The thing that I do really like about it is what we touched upon before. The idea of each player assuming a role that has a specific function in creating the world of the game that they are traversing. That, I think, is interesting. And I do also think it's interesting, the idea of the ultimate arbiter, the weaver, having the final say, but that role being mutable and other people being able to sort of steal the crown from the weaver and take over... With the double-edged sword being, if you're the weaver, you can't achieve the game's ultimate goal of getting the jewel of all desiring. Like, I find a lot of these things very interesting, but I I guess my final opinion then is, I think it's probably more interesting in concept than it is in practice. It's probably a lot more fun to contemplate how this works than to actually play the game. Would you agree with that one?
0: Um... I would agree that this game is perhaps made for people who think that is true. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> if you enjoy contemplating this type of thing, then this is the type of game for you. But this, well, this it is, is it, like it's, it, is,
1: it is like Calvin Ball, like it's like Nomic. Like I really do feel like that's a good touchstone for it because so much of this is just like. You don't know the rules. Well, we'll we'll make them up as we go. Can I do this? I don't know. Can you? Ask that guy. He has the the ability to decide it. Can I do this? Yeah, you can do that. Well, I don't I don't like that I can do that. I don't like that she can do that. I want to be the guy who decides that. Okay, we'll roll off. Okay, now I'm the guy who decides and you can't do that.
0: <laughs> I'm very I'm reminded of a time that you came to uh Ashes against the Grain and it was before we started playing and me and Jess were there and you posed us with one of those goof-ass questions that's like is a hot dog a sandwich (laughs) or something and we were just not having it we were like nope nope get out of here none of that and like i think this like i think that's the difference between people for whom this game is going to work and people for Um, whom it's not is like uh, you're really people who enjoy this kind of thought experiment and then i think there are people for whom it is like anathema and it's just like it hurts your head.
1: You cut me deep with that statement, Tom. Cut me real deep, buddy.
0: I didn't mean to. Like <laughs> i i really am just trying to like summarize what i think is the like I mean the split between these like enjoying this game or not. It's like there are do- th- th- like it's another thing is like it came to mind when we were talking about Nomic is like one thing is like I am um, I am almost immediately turned off by any game that involves cards and that's just like a thing for me. Hmm. I don't know uh it's just something about cards I I don't like Part- particularly just like a regular deck of playing cards. Um actually that's kind of weird to say because like A oh, hard disagree. I,
1: I love a deck of playing cards.
0: Yeah, I the the thing is that like I just don't enjoy like I don't mind games that use them but I don't enjoy games that are based around them. Does that make sense? Like Uh yeah, the, you don't
1: want to play poker the, but you like a deck of many things.
0: Yeah, that's that's potentially it. It's like a game can use a deck of cards for its initiative system or something. I've seen that and it's cool, but um for me there is something about the the very sense of dimensionality about a game that is played with a deck of cards that, like, it just doesn't work for me in the same way that a pen and paper role-playing game works for me or a miniatures game works for me. And I think that, like, on that same level, you know, there are some people... For whom these thought experiments and, and sort of puzzles like that i think that's another like you've used the word puzzle a few times now and i think that that is a good touchstone is like there are people who enjoy puzzles and people that don't right yeah and like i i don't mean to say like oh you're one of those idiots that no. like that stuff <laughs> no i will explain what i, I meant just by think the deep cut like... <laughs> um
1: i guess I, I can explain it now i didn't mean to cut you off no, that's it. Um, the reason I was like, you cut me deep with that statement, Tom, is because uh, Caitlin just will not have any of that shit either. <laughs> me saying like, there's a hot dog, a sandwich. She she says that that's a, what's called a fake conversation. She's like, I'm not going to have some fake conversation with you where ultimately like this bullshit does not matter. It doesn't matter all, if a hot I, dog I is a sandwich. Kind of... You know, So why why are we even talking about it?
0: I like this is the thing I almost want to pick up on is like this aggressive, like this aggressive way of interrogating this game of like, is this a fake role playing game in the sense that like that is a fake conversation? Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think it is. I think that like to the extent that like Rafe exists and and there are the urtoads and everything like there is a game here. Um, It's just like it is presented in a way That for me, it's like, all right, fine, but why would you present the game that way? That's just annoying.
1: (laughs) All of the mechanical stuff that makes up the bulk of this source document, the stuff with these flowcharts, these rules, toys, and these stars and all that, I think it is completely unnecessary. Honestly, I think that it could actually be really fun to just run this five book campaign with the basic mechanic of each player has a role and then someone is the weaver and you know the power of each role is limited but they're all working in collaboration or perhaps against each other to construct the game world and work their way through this five book story. I think that there's a lot of potential to have fun there as soon as i got to that story the story of of wtf i was like oh interesting like i could see it being fun you know you and a couple of friends are placed in this situation where you're like you're in the city of Rafe, where the nobles are vampires what do you do And then, you know, the, the fatalist could be like, okay, but vampires can't come out during the day. And then Thayer just says, and if they come out during the day, then they get set on fire. And so the wisher can then go, all right, so we need to get through Wraith. We might as well do it during the day. And like,
0: yeah, I tend to agree with that statement that um, the core of it is good. Like, like if you're to assault this with like, this is a fake role-playing game it's like no there is a core role-playing game here that's good there's just a lot of stuff on top of it that i don't understand and i it's like a game that that is hidden
1: under mornington crescent
0: i i say that having no real ability to visualize it myself but i'm also kind of intrigued by the potential idea of like if you became proficient enough with the basic idea of this game that you wouldn't necessarily even need to have the books created for you, like with Rafe and everything, because you could potentially then start this cycle of like, well, we created a new game with the jewel of, uh, whatever. And then you play in that world and you are after the jewel again in that world and then it becomes about redefining the game that you're playing now.
1: Yeah, and it seems like that is a, another sort of facet of how this can be unspooled. Like after you play the base game, whoever obtains the Jewel of All Desiring remakes the world how they want it to be. And then I could absolutely see, take that, that world, maybe the, the player who got the Jewel of All Desiring becomes the new Weaver. And everybody yeah, else shuffles their roles and starts again in this newly created world. Cool. I think that's a very neat idea. Um, and that sort of relates back to what I was saying about Nomic as well. You know, like, uh, was it uh, Blog and the ongoing game that does the dynastic approach where, you know, you play through a game and then a new game starts up with remnants of the previous game left over. It's the same sort of idea there where you complete the game, someone gets the jewel of all desiring, and then remnants of the previous game world remain while the rest of the world changes around you and everything sort of starts up again anew. I think that's really neat. But also related to what you have been saying, where it's like there's a certain kind of person for whom this appeals and and others for whom it's a big headache. And the thing is, I agree with that as well. I see the appeal in this, uh, and obviously I'm the kind of asshole who will ask is a hot dog a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, that is not to say that I... You
0: just a bun around a wiener so you sure don't qualify.
1: <laughs> but that is not to say that I like all forms of these types of games in nomic. Like, I mentioned M.A.O. before. I don't like M.A.O. The reason I don't like M.A.O. is that it is a game not only based around figuring out what the rules are, but punishing you for not knowing what the rules are. And I feel like that that is, like, so unwelcoming as a game. Like, why would I play a game where the point is that I don't know the rules and I get penalized for not knowing the rules? Where is the fun?
0: I guess the thing is, I said the thing earlier about, like, the, um, the example of play makes it seem like an inside joke between people that I would find insufferable. I say that, I think, because there is also, like, a vibe here that is like, damn it, just talk like a person communicate (laughs) like it really for me communication is like like bad communication is a really major character flaw in a person and isn't it interesting that
1: i that the game document does not seem to communicate well but the game itself is entirely based around good communication
0: yeah, like I don't, the game like, itself again, is I...
1: based around you and your co players working together to like literally define terms, elaborate upon terms and decide what actions to take with powers that can shape the entire game world. Like communication is absolutely key when that is the point. And yet the document itself, like I had to scroll through 70 pages just to get to a part where I was like, OK, now I see what's going on. <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I can't make a lot of broad sweeping statements about this game because I haven't read through it or anything. Like I don't have the whole picture here, but like one game that I've also thought of, uh, as we've talked about, this is the adventures of Baron Munchausen and how it's just about like making up a goofy story and changing the details of it. That game came Um, up a
1: lot in my research into WTF as well.
0: Um I think they're actually running a game at uh, Can Games this year. Uh but um yeah there's just something about <laughs> like there's something about the theatrics of the adventures of Baron von Munchausen where there is a tone implied that makes me think that like there, there's like something about that example of play that's like man those people come off as rude <laughs> <laughs> and like i'd rather we were all just hanging out having a drink like Baron von mutchhausen you know like
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i keep on mentioning it like mornington crescent is sort of how this this comes across. And Mornington Crescent, you can actually find examples of gameplay, just search for it on YouTube, and you can hear, you know, a panel of British people just doing the the shtick that I was talking about, where someone will say, like, uh, okay, uh, Blackfriars, and then someone else will go, can you name Blackfriars this early? And someone else says, oh, but we're playing with this edition of the rules, aren't we? And oh, and it becomes a debate, like, but in that edition of the rules, I thought Blackfriars could only be said if it was Thursday blah 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 like it the the fun is just in sounding like a snobby pedant who knows the rules and is not going to elaborate upon them
0: yeah i guess if that's something you're into not me
1: (laughs) uh so i think i think we can draw the discussion of uh wisher thayer just fatalist to a close uh one actual note that i should make is initially i thought that this would connect to orbserver in a way Um,
0: there were a few things. That's right. I remember that. I was, I was all interested about it the whole time.
1: Well, there are a few things. Uh, there are a few reasons that I thought that, uh, for one thing, the idea of it being based around like sets of three, three stats, three classes. I know that three was a, an important number in Orbserver. I still haven't read like all of what you've written for Orbserver. So I don't know what made still working on it. I don't know what made me think that I could posit that something was like it. But a main part of this, uh, when I read a synopsis of WTF, the synopsis talked a lot about perceiving and defining the reality of the game. And that is what reminded me of Observer. Because so Observer, of course, is all, all about perception and definition of reality by the Observers. right? You could have
0: an Observer game where some Observers have to Observe a game of WTF and not exactly. go mad from the experience.
1: Precisely precisely like there's so that that was the connection i had in mind but the the deeper i dug with wtf the more i realized like no this game is not like a, or observer even if it deals in some similar philosophical concepts
0: but you know noblest like that idea of playing abstract concepts that's close enough to the idea of playing a weird alien inhuman thing that i'm like mm-hmm. uh, i'd like to know about that
1: i mean the, just the idea too of like the players being simultaneously like insiders and outsiders in the reality of the game world, I think, has sort of a connection to what you're going for with Observer. but I don't really know, man. doesn't seem like it's actually that close in the end. Oh, well. But it next time, maybe, maybe I'll bring noblis next time and we can dissect that one.
0: I'm definitely down to. I'm excited to hear about this diceless gaming system. Meanwhile, I'm over here with my tokens. Is that it for episode 150? Sure is. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, see when we post new episodes or follow us, check us out on Facebook at Comparing Campaign on Facebook.com. Uh, and if you want to see our show notes and supplemental materials, check us out on uh, Comparing com. And. Uh, Who's got time to argue about nonsense stuff? Not me. Actually, I've probably got time. I just don't like to spend my time doing that. For the
1: record, a hot dog is a sandwich.
0: Not according to that song. Uh, Take care, everybody.
1: Last word freak.